Down to half a minute. Second and goal. Baldwin sets up on the left. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, sports, and pop culture. My name is Brett Gaida, and I am your host. I understand that if you are a Seattle Seahawks fan, that opening clip likely falls into the too soon category. If it's any consolation, know that in this episode, I will be equally praising your quarterback, Russell Wilson, as we talk about two of the most impactful success practices in sport, in business, and in life. For those of you who missed it or weren't interested, that clip was from the end of Super Bowl 49. Seattle was on the one-yard line and almost certain to score when Malcolm Butler of the New England Patriots made a game-clinching interception. Immediately following the game, with the confetti falling from the sky and millions of people everywhere still not sure what just happened, Michelle Tafoya of NBC chased down the game hero Malcolm Butler for an interview. She asked him two questions, and I found both of his responses to be full of insight. His second response was what initially grabbed my attention. So let's start there. Can you imagine being a rookie and with this team about to, looking like they're on the precipice of scoring the winning touchdown, and there you are. Can you describe what's going through your mind? Uh, well, first of all, I just knew the, they were stacked and preparation is, it all comes from preparation and I just knew they was doing a pick right or coming under and I just, just didn't guess and just went and made a play in. It was crazy, man. Congratulations. Thank you. Al. All right, thank you. Michelle. First off, let me just say, preparation this? Yes! Putting my vote into the American Dialect Society right now to have that be 2015's word of the year. I am all for made-up words, but it can be a slippery slope, and as irregardless... My irregardless ex-boyfriends are just off-limits to friends. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. And strategery are awful. But when they're doing their strategery... Preparationness is Act Nicholas. Secondly, bravo, Malcolm, for acknowledging the work that goes into success. I love the message this sends to kids who are watching, that success is about hard work and preparation. Now, Malcolm Butler was certainly not the only one on the field that day with a commitment to preparation. As a matter of fact, it's probably the number one thing the man who threw the ball, Russell Wilson, is also known for. Most Seattle Seahawks fans out there know that Russell's primary mantra is, you know, like I always say, the separation is the preparation. And he said, you've done an unbelievable job with your preparation. The separation is in the preparation. Russell is known for this. Owners, coaches, teammates all praise his preparation. And interview after interview, he talks about film study, notes taking, meeting with teammates, all in preparation for game day. I work with executives and entrepreneurs all over the world, training them on being influential leaders, great speakers, winning negotiators, and no matter what I'm training on, about 99.76% of the time, I talk about planning and preparation as two of the biggest differentiators between good enough and great. Most people are just winging it, and we have valid reasons when we do. We're busy. Our lives are back to back to back to back, and most days we can't get everything done, let alone take out time to prepare for something else. And so I will simply ask, what are the stakes? 
Are you going to prepare for everything with the same amount of time and effort and focus? Of course not. I suggest the amount of planning and preparation you do is directly correlated to the stakes involved. Not to how much time you think you have or how much preparation you think it will take, but to the stakes involved. Got a 20-minute presentation to do internally for your team at a weekly meeting? Meh, maybe a little prep. Got five minutes in front of a C-level executive to land a prestigious client? You'll want to spend hours over a couple of weeks to make sure that everything is on point and that message is in your bones. Now let's get back to Malcolm Butler's comment. The Seattle Seahawks are on the one-yard line, second down. Statistically, at that point, there is an 88% chance they're going to score and win the game. Malcolm Butler, of his own admission, is feeling like it's his fault they're there. And what is going through his head? Is it something like this? Stupid, stupid, stupid. Or this? Oh, no. (laughs) Or this? That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? No, it was none of those. This is what he said. Oh well, first of all, I just knew he wasn't freaking out. He was calm. He was focused. He knew what was coming. Watch the replay that I will link to in the show notes page. He steps up to his teammate Browner before the play and tells him what's coming. On that info, Browner jumps in front of Curse so he can't pick Butler. Butler sprints to beat the Seattle receiver to the spot, and the rest is history. And why? Preparation. He knew what was coming, and he had envisioned what he would do if it happened. And that is the second thing I want to talk about, which was actually the first thing Malcolm said to Michelle Tafoya. What happened on that play? Um, I, I just had a vision that... Um, I was gonna make a big play and it came true and I'm just blessed. It was a- Not only had he prepared through practice and game tape, but in his mind, it had already happened. Because Malcolm Butler used another technique that has a long history of success with athletes and high achievers, visualization. And while I'm sure it's been used going back to caveman hunting saber-toothed tigers, in the past 30 years, its visibility and credibility seems to have risen through the likes of Michael Jordan, Jim Carrey, Michael Phelps, and the previously mentioned Russell Wilson, all of whom evangelize the power of visualization in their success. Now, why is this? Because contrary to these success stories and the science backing it up, many people still think of visualization as this woo-woo thing. If I close my eyes and imagine, it'll just happen. First off, it is part of a process. It is not all of the process. Visualization works if you work hard. Yeah, Yeah. well, yeah, that's that's the thing. You You can't just visualize and then, you know, go eat a sandwich. (laughs) Without action, without focused work, you will not get there. That said, the value of visualization is very tangible when you understand the science and the psychology. Now, I'm not a scientist or a psychologist, so I'm not going to give it to you in their language. I'm going to give it to you in mine. And while there are many angles and advantages to understand in the power of visualization, I'm going to focus on one, its effect on your mindset. If we are going to talk about mindset, a couple of things we need to establish first. One, the mind thinks in pictures. If I say banana, what do you see? 
You either see a curved yellow fruit or a monkey eating a banana. You do not see the letters B-A-N-A-N-A. Though, you might see Gwen Stefani singing them. In turn, your conscious mind and body respond to these pictures and often do not know the difference between what you vividly imagine and what it is we would call real. Case in point, have you ever had a nightmare? You wake up, your heart is pounding, your body is tensed up, maybe you kicked your significant other in the shins. Nothing that you saw in your mind was real. There was no masked man chasing you. You were not falling off a precipice, and yet you reacted to it as if it was real. And sometimes it takes us days to mentally shake off the effects of a bad dream. So when we imagine things vividly, we actually believe they are real. We have that experience, and that experience stays with us. What do you think is the power of that? Well, consider these words from Michael Phelps' coach and the swimmer himself. He's the best I've ever seen and maybe the best ever in terms of visualization. He will see it exactly the perfect race. And he will see it like he's sitting in the stands and he'll see it like he's in the water. And then he will go through scenarios, what if things don't go well? You know, if my suit ripped or if my goggles broke, you know, what would I do? So he has all of this in his database so that when he swims the race, he's already programmed his nervous system to do one of those. And he'll just pick the one that happens to come up. If everything's perfect, he'll just go with the perfect one. If he has this piece goes on to talk about the confidence that Phelps receives by knowing he has a plan for everything. And in having already experienced, through visualization, success in every one of those plans. And that is the second thing I want to establish. This idea of state attitude, emotions. We are always in some form of state. The question is whether we are in a state that is effective for the situation we are in or ineffective, whether our state is fueling our success or stifling it. Visualization is a powerful method to influence our state. It can help keep us focused, keep us moving, and maybe be the difference between success or quitting. When you see the end result of something before it actually happens, on some level your mind believes it already has, that you've already done it. Your mind already knows the end of the movie. And if you already know the end of the movie, your emotional state during the movie is very different. Let me give you an example. We will use my favorite Christmas movie, Die Hard. Now, if you haven't seen Die Hard, spoiler alert, I'm about to give away the ending. To be fair, the movie did come out 27 years ago, so I'm not sure if it requires a spoiler alert. I mean, would it be a spoiler alert at this point if I told you that Darth Vader was Luke's father? No, I am your father. Or Kevin Spacey is Kaiser Sose. And like that, he's gone. Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense is dead. I see dead people. I don't think so. I digress. Back to Die Hard. Okay, let's imagine that right now we were to watch the last 15 minutes of Die Hard. I'll give you a quick review. 
terrorists have hundreds of people hostage on the top floor of a skyscraper in Los Angeles. We pick up the action and John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, has killed almost all of them and he's in a fight with a blonde German terrorist. After they punch each other in the face about 50 times, Bruce wraps a chain around his neck and hangs him from the ceiling. He then darts up to the roof where he corrals all the hostages back into the building, saving their lives. But in the process, he is shot at by the FBI who thinks he's a bad guy and he's forced to leap off the building with a fire hose wrapped around his waist. He survives that and eventually confronts the head terrorist Hans. Unfortunately for John, Hans has figured out that one of the hostages is John's wife, Holly, and he has her at gunpoint. He forces John to drop his machine gun and place his hands on his head. Unfortunately for Hans, John has taped a handgun to his back, and before you could say yippee-ki-yay mother John pulls out his gun and shoots Hans and his henchmen. But as Hans is falling out of the window, he grabs Holly's wrist and starts to pull her out with him. John leaps and undoes her wristwatch so Hans loses his grip. And as he does, he lifts his gun to shoot John. But before he can fire, gravity takes over and he plunges to his death! Whew. John and Holly walk out of the building and there John finally meets face to face the cop who he's been talking to by walkie-talkie the whole time. They embrace and everything is great, but wait! Screaming terrorist, the blonde German is alive. He storms out of the building, pulls out a machine gun, and he's about to shoot John and his wife when bam, bam, the cop who hasn't drawn his weapon for years since he accidentally shot a kid takes out the final terrorist for good. With that, John and Holly embrace. She apparently has forgiven him for the fact that he's been a terrible husband for years because he now saved her life, and they live happily ever after. Well, until the sequel anyways. Okay, so that is the end of Die Hard. Dead accurate recreation, right? Now. Imagine a couple of days later, you're sitting around with your friends or family, flipping channels, and Die Hard's on again. And someone in the room says, hey, hey, let's watch Die Hard. I've never seen it. And someone else is like, oh, me neither. And it turns out that no one in the room has seen Die Hard but you. So you say, yeah, yeah, sure, let's watch it. Now, during the movie, things are happening. Okay? John McClane loses his shoes, his glass all over the floor, and everyone's worried. And you're like, don't worry, he'll be fine. John's wife is pissed at him and someone in the room says, God, I wish she'd give him another chance. And you think, don't worry, she will. The cop's talking about how he shot a kid and people in the room feel so bad for him. And you know that in the end, he'll be a hero. You are not worried about anything. Why aren't you worried about anything? Because you already know the end of the movie. You've seen it. Now take that into real life. Imagine you're working on a big goal, alone or with a team, and you are visualizing success every day. Every morning you wake up and at some point you close your eyes for 15 seconds or so and you see it happening. Now along the way you're going to hit obstacles, setbacks, okay? You may have a quarter of a million dollar contract disappear like happened to me once. And people around you might start to doubt. We're never going to make it. We won't hit our targets. You can't do this. This is never going to work. And you think, it's okay. We are going to make it happen. I can do this. I already know the end of the movie. I see it every day. With that clarity, that vision, not only are you calmer, you are more confident. While other people are talking about the problem, you shift without a beat to focusing on the solution. If not this, what? Because you know you're going to get through it, you just don't know how. And that is the attitude that keeps you in an effective state. And it is one of the biggest powers of visualization. 
keeping you in a state where you can bring your best. And that best is going to be consistently upgraded through your preparation. So let's go back to Malcolm Butler. Standing there in the end zone, Super Bowl on the line, feeling that if they lose, it's his fault. Seattle gets into formation. He immediately recognizes it, and in his mind, he sees the end of the movie. Um, I just had a vision that um, I was going to make a big play. He's not freaking out. He's not focusing on the play before, on the problem. He's looking forward. He's already beating that receiver to the spot and catching that ball. He's seeing it. It's done. All he's got to do is press play. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Bobby Unser once said, success is where preparation and opportunity meet. That doesn't mean it's always gonna go your way. I know that Russell Wilson visualized and he prepared and yet his team came up a yard short. That's life sometimes, it's hard. But the successful get up, they create a new vision, they keep preparing because no one moment defines us. We are the sum of all of our moments. And while we may fail, even when we are prepared, we will rarely succeed at a high level when we are not. To discuss this topic in more detail, I reached out to a guy who has lived and breathed it for years. And in tune with this week's episode, he is also a former NFL player. Matt Mayberry is an author, speaker, and performance expert. And in his words, his main focus is maximizing the performance of everyone he comes in contact with. I managed to catch up with Matt in the middle of a very busy week for him. And I want to start this segment a little different than we usually do. Normally, we jump right into a conversation about a topic, but with Matt, I want you to hear his story first, because it speaks powerfully to the tools that we are discussing. Well, as you said, I grew up just outside of Chicago, about 25 minutes to be exact from downtown. I grew up with a wonderful family background. My parents did everything to make sure me and my younger brother had everything we needed to be fine young men and to make a difference in society. But, you know, my a real turning point for my life uh, in a negative sense was in high school. You know, we're around so much more peer pressure. We got more opportunities to make the wrong decision and, and kind of go down that negative road. And that's what happened to me, Brad. I started hanging out with others who were drinking, uh, doing every drug you could possibly be thinking of, take part in every crime. And that's really where my life started to go. So at, at the age of 16, I was a teenage drug addict. Uh, my mother seen me do cocaine. I got in fights with my father. I almost got kicked out of school. I was in such a really dark place in my life. That was really one of my first biggest failures. And it all comes back to visualization. I had an epiphany one night 
And after going to you know outpatient rehab for about a month, I had a conversation with my father. And for the first time, I actually listened to my father. And throughout this conversation, he just started to tell me that, you know, hey, we don't know if me and your mother can go through this anymore. We don't know if we can put up with seeing you just throwing your life away. And for some reason, it just clicked with me. I, I It resonated for the first time in maybe four years with what he was saying. And I, I went into the bathroom. I still remember this very vividly. I looked myself in the mirror and I hated what I saw. I saw disgust, anger. I, I just hated what I saw, monster. All the negative moments, all the people I've heard, all the people that loved me that I let down, it all just started to come uh, into my thought process. And I just went in the room and just cried to God. That's the only thing I could do. At that time, I was really, wasn't really deep into my faith, but that, that's the only thing and the only the route I really had left to do was to just cry out to God, really cry out for help. And uh, that's when athletics came to mind. And that's kind of what started, you know, what can I do? My first question that I asked God that night was, what can I do to pay back the people that I hurt most? And I continually heard the word athletics, athletics, athletics. I didn't have the talent. I didn't have the stats the previous year. But I knew the only way to get, you know, athletics and, and to help my family out, to help those that love me most was to make something of my life. And I knew that I was a good athlete. It all started with athletics. So I know that my job from there on out was to get a college scholarship. I worked seven days a week, um, did everything I possibly could do to get bigger, faster, stronger, everything to make me a better football player. Um, I reached out to every single coach you could think of in America. I even wrote departments of the university that had nothing to do with football or scholarships or anything. That's how hungry I was. A year later, it, it truly did pay off. And, you know, I had 19 scholarship offers. I chose Indiana University and Coach Terry Hepner. Uh, I had a great career there, and that led me to the Bears. And another defining moment in my life was when I was with the Chicago Bears and I ended up getting hurt. I tore a bone off my ankle playing the San Diego Chargers. And that was another low moment in my life, which kind of led me to what I'm doing now. You know, I was depressed. I, I you know, hey, what's going to happen? People started to say, hey, Matt, athletes aren't anything once they're done playing their sport. What are you going to do? What are you going to do now? And, you know, I started to hear a lot of the critics. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I actually started to listen to them. I started to listen to all the negativity that they said, and I started to really think that about myself. And it all changed one night when Stedman Graham, Oprah's boyfriend of 25 years, asked me if I wanted to speak at a leadership event with him. And that night on stage sharing my story and, and talking about things that I'm very passionate about, you know, really ignited my whole being. It ignited my mind, body, and spirit. I felt alive on stage. And after that event, I walked away saying, you know what? Football is not for me. This is my purpose and my passion. Other people might know me as Matt the athlete, but this is who I am. This is really who I want to do. So that whole moment was kind of like a whole nother epiphany for me in my life. And a year later, the Oakland Raiders called me and said, Matt, we want to play out to Oakland. We need a linebacker. And that's when I shocked everyone and turned that down. Wow. Well, and what I love about that, Matt, is is what I heard in your story was Actually, a lot of what I talk about in this episode, because, you know, the two things that, you know, Malcolm Butler mentioned in that interview, right? Preparation and vision. And, you know, when I think of preparation, I don't, I, I think of, you know, all the hard work and the perseverance and the blood, the sweat, the study, right? And, and that's a lot of what, yeah. I, what I, what I hear in your story, right? I hear a moment, you know, with your parents or with your dad where you had a vision suddenly talking to God and saying, okay, athletics, that's the vision. 
but it, but you know, visioning right. that visioning that without the hard work wasn't going to get you there, right? And then came the preparation, right? Right. Then then you Absolutely. get you, then Absolutely. you then you get hurt, and then you're kind of I mean, dude, I've been in that position too, right? Where you're you're kind of visionless, right? Well, I think you know the whole Malcolm Butler you know story. I think it's a it's a it's a wonderful topic as far as when you're talking about visualization and preparation, because so many people see the glory, they see the Super Bowl ring, they see the parade. They see this young star, you know, reaching to, you know, national stardom and life's biggest stage for this young man. And, you know, everyone thinks he's the biggest hero. But as Tom Brady said, he's been making those plays in practice all year. He studied. He knew exactly what Russell Wilson was going to do when they, the receivers lined up a certain way. So it truly did come down to preparation, number one, and visualization, number two. Seeing yourself making that play, even though you might not be a Darrell Revis, have $80 million guaranteed to you right now, he visualized himself making a game-winning play, and he did just that. As Matt and I kept talking, the conversation moved to his entrepreneur article on visualization. In it, he mentions that visualization was introduced to him as an athlete and says he experienced the incredible benefits of it right away. I asked him what those benefits are. The benefits are, you know, when you're at on the battlefield, when you're, when you're, you know, giving a presentation in front of thousands of people, when you're getting ready to go in to close a sale, or whatever it is you do for a living, you know, being able to picture yourself already winning, already succeeding, when it's actually time to do that, you're going to be that much more primed and ready to actually, you know, win and, and come out on top and do what you were supposed to do. So really, it all comes down to it is a form of preparation, visualization in itself, but the tremendous benefits every Saturday when we would suit up in college, every Friday night we would visualize ourselves. We had a sports psychologist come in and really take us through a whole walkthrough of, you know, getting our body and mind relaxed and getting in tune with our thoughts. And it all came down to picturing doing what you're supposed to do out, out in the field every Saturday. And guess what? It paid off every Saturday. That's when you really started to see the benefits of visualization. Yeah, and I mean, I think one of the things that I mentioned to people is is the fact that I, I would suggest that everybody's visualizing, right? No matter what, the mind thinks in pictures, so people are doing right. it. The question is whether you're actually visualizing the outcome you want, or maybe in some cases, you're you're visualizing the outcome that you don't want, right? You are correct. You're, they're actually visualizing what they don't want to happen. They're bringing the negativity into the forefront of their thought process which that's why most people don't really get what they want in life and business and in athletics. You know, they're thinking about the negative. They're thinking about what can go wrong. And, you know, it's been said that we have up to 60, you know, to 80,000 thoughts per day. So, I mean, that, that puts it in perspective for you just how much we truly think. And, you know, it all comes down to whether that vision of yours, that thought process is positive or negative. So what else, Matt, whether it's, it's connected to this or, or, or even if it's tangential from it, you know, when you're out there working with companies, I mean, the, the show's called Where There's Smoke. And so it's that idea of where there's smoke, there's fire. And we often on the show try to look kind of beyond what everybody else sees to some of the things that maybe people don't see. What do you see these days when you're, you know, working with businesses and corporations? What's some of the stuff happening around performance that maybe either people aren't aware of or maybe you think it should be being talked about more? I think a big thing that's really been around, obviously, being a former athlete, is I think health and fitness. You know, when you talk about productivity, I think the best productivity secret out in the world is getting top-class, world-class shape. And I think a lot more companies are starting to implement that into their employees, different benefit packages. 
I even, you know, was out in the company, uh, Colorado two weeks ago at, you know, they actually started to make it mandatory that, you know, employees have to get a workout in sometimes throughout the workday. Obviously every company can't do that. You know, not every fortune 500 company can have the benefit that a small business could have, but just the importance of health and fitness into the workplace is extraordinary. When you talk about increasing productivity, which is obviously going to raise profit margins down the road. If you could imagine, you know, everyone listening right now, if there was one, you know, piece of wisdom that you could share with our audience and you knew that they would take it to heart, what would that be? Well, since today's topic is all about visualization and the Super Bowl just happened, big play with Malcolm Butler, I, I would say, you know, start to picture yourself really winning in, in your area of life, in your game of life, you know, really whether it's being the best mother, best father, whether it's being the best business owner, the best entrepreneur, whatever the case may be, just see yourself on top, see yourself winning. And it truly does make a difference in, in your life and, you know, your happiness levels, your productivity levels, and, you know, no positivity and visualizing yourself being successful won't guarantee your success, but it sure will do a whole lot more for you than being negative will. Right on. Cool. And uh, again, Matt, I just want to say thank you for taking the time today. I know we uh, we did this on pretty short notice, and I really appreciate you uh, stepping up in the middle of a very busy schedule. Thanks so much, Brad. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Matt would love to stay connected with you. For articles, motivation, and inspiration to help you maximize your performance, go to mattmayberryonline.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore Mayberry. And be on the lookout for his new book in September of this year titled The Gift of Failure, Seven Surefire Ways to Turn Failure into a Gift. And that is almost a wrap for this episode. Hey, if you're enjoying Where There's Smoke and you want to stay plugged in to all we're doing and receive some cool stuff along the way, be sure to join our mailing list. You can do that on our website, wheretheresmoke.co or on your phone right now by simply texting the word SMOKE to 66866. Now to be clear, you'll get a text response asking for your email and you'll be added to our email list. We will not get access to your phone number nor will we be texting you. Now, if you do want me to text you each day to tell you how awesome you are, well, that's a separate service. We can discuss that. Uh, once again, we would like to thank all of you out there for subscribing to the show and your awesome feedback on iTunes, Stitcher, and Twitter. A few shout outs. Uh, Mark Bussey in Vancouver, Canada for the kind words, the offers of support and spreading the word on Twitter. Ron Y, who said that I have a blend of empathy, warmth, genuine curiosity, and sharp intelligence. Flattery will get you everywhere. Stacy Menz for being our number one tweeter and spreading the insight of WTS into her PT world. Keza Bellalu in the UK because we appreciate your review and frankly I just wanted to say Keza Bellalu. And uh, to what appears to be our two listeners in Cape Verde, please tell all your friends. Perhaps this ends in a live broadcast from your island someday. And if you dig the show and you haven't yet, please consider heading over to iTunes and giving us a five-star rating and review and share an episode on Twitter or Facebook. This is a grassroots campaign and it all makes a huge, huge difference. Where There's Smoke is written and hosted by me, Brett Gaida, and produced and edited by Nick Jaworski. Nick runs Podcast Monster and he helps make your podcast sound awesome. You can find him at podcastmonster.com. Our theme song was written and performed by Des McKinney with additional music by Kevin. 
Kevin McLeod. To see the show notes, which include links to all the clips used in each episode and anything else we reference in the show, go to www.wherethersmoke.co. I would like to give out my episode MVP to Michelle Tafoya of NBC Sports. Great work running down Malcolm Butler and grabbing two authentic and powerful sound bites in the moment. With that, thank you for listening. If you dig the show, please share it. We put out a new episode every Tuesday, and we will see you next week. <laughs>